Thank you, sir. Okay, first of all, you know what we should do? We should like FaceTime my wife. Should we do that? Would that be, let's just do that, kind of surprise her. So hold on. Here, Heather, do you want to come call her? All right, okay, hold on. She will be so angry. She will hate this so much. And that's, what, that's what's going to make it fun. Okay. Get ready to say hi, Carrie. She probably won't answer. Yeah. She's probably on a date with someone. <laughs> a grandbaby. A grandbaby. Hmm. We'll give her one more ring. That is a story of my life. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a picture of you then. And she'll just have to get like, she'll have to imagine what you look like moving. Or I could do a video, huh? I, okay, do a video on the count of three of them. Say hi, Carrie. One, two, wait. <laughs> One, two, three. Awesome. She hates it when I do that. Wow, it is so good to be here with you. And I just went to the Moonlight Barbecue. That was pretty good. You think? Good barbecue? Yes. And they have really good pie. Pecan pie. And coconut pie. It was awesome. Thank you so much for being here tonight. How many have read? Okay, how many here are for the um, Michael Vay? Raise your hand. Okay, so we have some Vayniacs. How many are here for, for the Christmas books? Okay, you guys can just fight it out. Okay, because what happens I, when I was writing three books a year and it was too much, and then I, people were saying, well, just stop writing the other series. And then I could write like more adult books or I could write faster Michael Bay. And it's like, well, I have to do both. It's both there. How many have read the new book? Noel Diary. Oh, you've read the new Michael Bay. How many have read the new adult book, Noel Diary? Okay, these books actually, they interact with each other in that I was two months late with the final spark. And I keep getting further and further behind on my books because I'm writing three books a year and it's way too much. So what's my third series? The Broken Road. The Broken Road from The Walk, right? Um, and so writing three books a year is way too many books. And so I was two months behind on the final spark and so I was avoiding my editor. I didn't want to talk to her because I knew she would tell me something awful. And I just, I really, I just, I knew I couldn't take the pressure. So I wouldn't take her calls and she's calling my agents. Like she's, my agents telling her to leave, leave me alone. So as soon as I sent the Michael Vay book in, I called her and I go, okay, when is the next book due? And she said, next Friday. <laughs> she goes, are you almost done? I said, I haven't started it. And I go, I can't write a book in 10 days. He goes, I'll have my, I'll have my people call your people and figure it out. And they came back and they said, okay, if you can write it in 10 weeks, in 10 weeks, um, and you don't miss a single deadline, the book can be out for Christmas. So that's what I did. And I had to lock myself away and I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I think that's why the book, Noel Diary, is so, is so kind of raw. But when I finished it, I thought, this is a book that you're going to hate. I was sure you're going to hate this book. 
And, but I always wait, it goes out there, I kind of wait to see the first response, and the first response on Amazon, that's, that's the only thing we really tell now, right? So first response is five stars. I go, well, that's probably just some diehard fan that will say that on anything. Then the next is five stars, next is, the next 60 reviews are five stars. I've never seen that before. And then I got my first four-star review. And it's like, when four-star review is a bad thing, like you're feeling bad about it, you know you're doing well, but, but over and over they're saying, this is your best book. Um, I had this experience with, which totally surprised me. I didn't expect that. But when Carrie read it, I had just finished writing the book, um, or I had just given her the book, and we have this little ritual we do. I give her the book, and, and when it's in its most complete form, so she doesn't have to like read the mistakes and errors. And, and I walked downstairs, I didn't know she was reading it, and she had just finished reading the book about 10 minutes earlier. And I couldn't, because I walked in, I couldn't figure out what was going on because she was crying. And I walked in, she still had tears in her eyes. And I said, oh, you read it. And she said, I have a new favorite of all your books. I go, really? And then she said something that was really telling. She said, she said, I'm so sorry. Was that hard to write? Because she knew how much of the book was true. This is a weird thing about, I think about this book is that I, I drew from some of the most difficult parts of my life. I talk about this woman I would have dreams about. Well, that's true. On the back of it, I would dream about this woman. And all I knew about this woman is that she loved me. And I did since I was a little boy. And I could never figure out, I, I didn't even know she was real. I was like, what is this? And it wasn't until I was 40 years old that I figured out who she was. Because I went to my, I went to my dad and I suddenly started putting the, the, the math together. When I was, my mom gave birth right after, almost as fast as she could after I was born. So she gave birth 10 months after I was born. And um, that was my little sister who, who died in childbirth. My mother went into really severe depression and was hospitalized. And from all I know, she was in bed and she was just kind of out for the next, for the next um, year and a half until my little brother was born. So it suddenly occurred to me, it's like, wait a second, who raised me? If my mom is checked out, who raised me? I'm a baby. This is a really formative time, right? From the time you're a baby to the time you're three. And so I said to uh, my dad, I go, dad, who raised me during that time? And he said, oh, we always loved you. And I said, that's, that's a horrible answer, right? I go, and he said, um, well, you know, I had nothing to do with you children. I go, yep, know that too, <laughs> right? That's also a really bad answer. I said, Dad, who raised me? And he said, Pam. And I said, who's Pam? And he said, she was an unwed mother who lived with us while, um, during that time. And back in those days, maybe you remember that they used to take, when women would get pregnant out of wedlock, they would send them off so they wouldn't shame the family. And my dad was a social worker, so we would take these women in. So all of a sudden I realized there's this woman is out there, it's Pam. Just before my father died, a, a woman about my age showed up. I know, you got, can you hear me with that music? Is that okay? You can hear me a little bit? Okay. So just, just about the time my, um, before my father died, this woman showed up at his house and she was just a few years younger than me. And she said, did you have an unwed mother living with you in 1963? 
And he said, yes. He goes, I'm, she said, I'm the baby. And I went to find her. I found her, but she denies that I was born. She denies having a baby. And my dad said, you realize they were trying to hide you. I mean, it was such, her husband may not know that she was pregnant. She, may, she might not have ever told him. So that's why she would hide him. And I just thought, okay, this is what's interesting. So this story is actually about these two people where I'm looking for this woman and she was looking for the same woman. This is the weird thing. I'm on a very small book tour right now. It's a, this is the only city outside of uh, Boise and Salt Lake that, that I have traveled to. So normally I go on book tour, but this time I'm not. And so um, I came out here for, some, for the event, the school event. But when I, um, I go to my first book signing, and the, the woman showed up. It's like, so if you read the book, it's, the, it's Rachel. She actually showed up at the book signing. So I was like in shock. I didn't know what to say. So um, it, it's so weird because I, I, I felt like I was living my book. So anyway, I hope you like the book. Um, for those who are here for Michael Vay, I know this makes no sense to you. And so we can talk about that now. Have you read the whole series? Did you finish it? You're kind of, you're working on it? So, okay, um, we're still working on, on the TV series. We had an offer from Netflix, which they turned down because it wasn't enough money. And so we'll see what happens. They're still negotiating and hopefully it comes through. I also, for those who have followed my mistletoe books, did anyone see the mistletoe promise last year on Hallmark? Okay, they changed it a lot and I, I knew they were going to change it because they, um, they asked my permission before they changed it. They said, we have to change it. And if you read the book, you can see why the book was pretty gritty. I think they're turning the music up. We should all like, we should like just all gather around the stage. So. We could. Do I just move your chairs up? Let's just move up here. Good idea, Heather. I have never seen that happen before, and you did it so orderly. Kudos. I kind of wish I had videotaped that. That was... <laughs> Sarah, is there... That is like loud, painful, loud. Can they... Can you... But no one's there? It's like, it, is this how they get people out of the mall? <laughs> it's closing time. We're going to play music until you hurt. You know, they actually, they actually did that at one of the malls I was at. They were having problems with skateboarders and kids hanging out. So they started playing classical music. They did, and they all went away. Isn't that, it's, it's, seriously. I thought, whoever thought of that was brilliant. Kid repellent. Who is the singer? We should like just sing Christmas carols. Okay, so um, anyway, we're working on the TV series, and Michael and um, right now I'm working on the second book in the Broken Road series, The Forgotten Road. 
And on Thanksgiving Day, the next Mistletoe um, book, Mistletoe Inn, airs on Hallmark. Now last year, Mistletoe Promise was the number two Hallmark Christmas special, which was really good, especially since it came out on November 4th and no one was thinking about Christmas. So because it did so well this year, they're giving us prime space on Thanksgiving Day. Is that a good day? Do people sit around and watch things on? I know I do. I'm always like too full to do anything, right? Okay, good. Anyway, Hallmark is, um, Hallmark is the network right now. So they were, they were saying that it actually, um, last year the Mr. Promise actually was approaching Game of Thrones in, in viewership. If you can believe that on, on Hallmark. But I think, I think it's because we're looking for peace. Do you think? There's so, much, there's so much anger in the world right now, and I think we're looking for something that you just kind of disappear into and, and be reminded that there's goodness in this world, which is also partially true of my books, even though I have killed more people in my books than any serial killer. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So um, anyway, so next year I will have The Forgotten Road, the second book in the Broken Road series, and my Christmas story. And depending on whether or not... Um, I get through that, and we have a TV series that I may come back to Michael Vane. It's a possibility, I'm not sure. I get kids all around the world writing about that and wanting me to keep on. The thing about Michael Vane that's been really fun, it's, because it's in other countries, it's global, and they're a year behind, so they're still finding out things. And, but one of the, I've gotten some really meaningful letters. Um, one I got from a, a gal in Paris this year, I was driving to the airport, and my assistant said to me, she said, I want to read this to you, and she had printed off an email, and I said, Dear Mr. Evans, and it was, it was a young woman um, in Paris, she goes, Dear Mr. Evans, you probably have been wondering where I've been. I go, who, who is this? She goes, her name is Romaine, she's a, she's a teenager in, in Paris. And she said, um, I'm not doing very well, I'm in the hospital right now because I tried to kill myself. She said, I have... I only have one friend in this world, and that's Michael Vay. And he's here with me. Thank you for my friend. And I said, let's get a hold of her immediately. And I reminded her that um, Michael loved her, and so do, so do I, and that Michael had to face the Elgin and some pretty scary, a pretty scary Dr. Hatch, and she's going to have her own Dr. Hatches and her Elgin guard. And, but she would make it and that she would have the superpower inside of herself to make it, and that life would get better. I reminded her of what Michael Vay said. He goes, this time of life is really the armpit of life for these kids, and so to hang in there. So now she writes me every day, Romaine. Um, that's the beautiful thing about books, is to see it, these stories. And with uh, Noel Diary, that's what I'm getting right now. People write me very long letters. I always thought it was a bad sign if someone came up and told me they liked, it's like, that was a good book. And that shouldn't sound like an insult, but it, it sounds kind of weak. Um, with the Christmas box, people would say, they would come up to me and they'd be crying. But they'd be saying, oh my gosh, you brought my mother back or my child. Or, and that's what you're looking for. And that's what I'm, I'm getting with Noel Diary. So I realized I, I, I must have no taste because I have no idea which books you'll like and which ones you don't. Um, but what I do, I've, I have realized is that the more sincere and authentic the book is, the better. And I think that's probably what, what we're facing, is that maybe social media has brought out a lot of pretense. Do you see that? People just like write happy things on Facebook. And um, 
Life is actually pretty hard. So I think when we actually were honest about our lives and what we're going through, I think, um, I think we're hungry for that. I think we're hungry for truth. What? Did you really? Well done. This man has power. <laughs> great. Let's give him a round of applause. Do you, do you like to own this mall? Do you own this mall? <laughs> Just so anyone can like phone them and tell them this. Okay. Um, let me answer your questions. Do you have any questions about the books? Yes. <laughs> Think about it when you get okay. Yeah. Um, okay. This is really funny. Hallmark has a list of do's and don'ts. Okay, so along, along the don'ts, you can't have anyone with cancer. Really? You can't have an amputee. Really? They have this written down, you can't have someone missing a limb. Um, you can't have anyone, let's see, can't have anyone dying. It's so like I broke three of the rules right off the bat. So if you go down the list, I broke like seven rules. So when they came back to me, it's kind of like they do with mistletoe promise. Now, I, mistletoe promise has a dead child in it. I mean, at the heart of it. I mean, it's just, it's, it, I would have hated to have seen that at Christmas time. So I understand. I had four networks that wanted it, but they, I knew they would, um, they would change it. The funny thing is, I guess Jody Picot, she yelled at them, at their, at their people, because they changed one of her books. And so they, they were afraid I was going to yell at them, so they wouldn't talk to me. And, and it's like, I'm trying to help promote the book. And they wouldn't talk to me because they were terrified I was going to yell. And the producer kept saying, he knows you changed it, okay? He agreed to it. And then finally, they like called me like three days before it came out. And they said, oh, you're not mad at us. It's like, we could have been promoting the book. I can't believe you're actually scared. I was, it's like, really? So, um, so there are changes. I have not seen it. I'm kind of the last to know. But one morning, I am in the movie. I am in this movie, and I swore after A Perfect Day, the movie with Rob Lowe and Christopher Lloyd, that I would never put myself in a movie again, because when I was in the movie, my kids laughed so hard they were crying. They mocked me. It's like, I just said, you're mocking me, aren't you? Yeah. So it's like, I'm never going to be in a movie again. This is, I'm, I'm not an actor, I, I can accept that. And. And then Mistletoe Inn was too tempting because it's about a writer's conference. Who doesn't want, I mean, I wanted to be a guy with a pen and paper taking notes. I thought that would be really great. So um, the producer arranged to fly me up there and they changed their mind when I was up there. They said, actually, we have another role for you. We want you to play an author. It's like it's an actual role. So I'm not just an extra. They want me to play an author. I thought, well, I could do that. And so I get there, it's up in Vancouver, and Carrie gets to come with me. And it's really weird because it's summer and they're out there spraying snow on the ground. So it looks like winter. It's, it's actually kind of cool, right? It's like they're making it all winter and frosting the windows and, and the bookstore is all cleared out, no one's in there. It's all decorated for Christmas inside. And then they hand me copies of the book I supposedly wrote, which actually is just a wrapping around a travel guide. So when you see the movie, The Travel Guide, I think it's called Hearts on Ice or something like that. Um, it's actually a fake book wrapped around travel, a travel guide. So I get there, and it's really hot 
and I'm wearing a coat, and I'm sweating, and I'm looking at these people, and I'm thinking, I really shouldn't have done this. I am not an actor. I should, I should have just stayed home. <laughs> and, and then I, they said, okay, it's time for my scene. We said, like, two hours, time for my scene. So I walk out, and then all of a sudden, everyone is there, and all these people are standing in the line like a book signing, and I just clicked into author mode. It's like, oh, I can do this. I mean, seriously, I could do it like in my sleep. So I just click into author mode, and I'm talking to them like they're buying books. I mean, they were all paid to be there. I mean, for all I know, you were all paid to be here tonight, right? Maybe you are just extras, right, in my life. It's like the Truman Show. Yeah, okay. So, so, so anyway, so there's, this, there's this big line, and it's hilarious, because it's like, you like my books? Oh, yeah, I love your books. I read all of them. It's like, you have no idea who I am. You're just this Canadian guy who would never read my books. And so I just go through, and finally the producer, director goes, you're doing really good, Evans, but you can't talk. <laughs> because we're background. So it's like, okay, we will fake it. So I was like, do you like my book? Now, so we're really not even talking. And then, but I did so good not talking that they decided to give me a speaking part. <laughs> this is Hollywood for you, or at least Vancouver. And so um, I think my line is, do you like my books? I think that's my, I think that's my debut in acting. It will stop there. I, I am open for music videos, but <laughs> that's pro I don't even make those anymore, so I'm probably done. So. Anyway, I'm actually, it's actually I think it's going to be pretty fun. Um, it stars Alicia Witt, who was in the science fiction classic Dune, which I think was pretty cool. But she was, she was pretty awesome. And um, anyway, did you, did you know that was coming out? Have you seen advertisements for it? No? You did. Yeah. I hope people watch it. I, I hope it's the number one movie. That's what, I, that's what I'm going for. If I go backwards, that would be a bad thing. A better day. So anyway. Um, okay, questions? Another question. Oh, yes, you, re you remembered. Okay. I, am I going to make another Michael Vay book? And that, it depends. If, when I finish the other series and, and um, I'm still alive, then I, I might. I, I would like to. And if, I get a, if we get a TV series, I probably will. So I would, I would really miss it. I, I was in um, Lawrenceville, Illinois yesterday, and it was really beautiful. These kids, um, I guess it's a pretty impoverished town. Do you know where Lawrenceville is? Yeah. It's very small. And um, for them, the big, the big city is Evansville. That's like the big city, so like New York to them. So some of these kids, apparently, um, they said, yeah, some of these kids are sleeping in tents. So I went to school, and the kids were absolutely lovely. And um, they bought a book for every kid at school. And when they announced it, it's like, by the way, you will all get a book. You should have seen their faces. So, and one little boy lost his book, and he was in tears. Um, the principal got him another one. But, so, yes. My favorite book series to write? You know what? To write, um, Michael Vay and The Walk were pretty close. The Walk was fun because I, I got to drive from coast to coast with my daughter, Jenna. And so we got to see some really interesting places. Like when you're on the, on the, west, the northwest coast, you're, um, it's all about coffee shops and the names of coffee shops. When you get out here, it's about the name of barbecue shops. Okay, they're, they're all trying to, they're trying to get the most clever names. So I had a list of, of about 100 barbecue shops, and, and, but I had the same thing back in Seattle. 
with um, all the coffee shops. Yeah. Yes. My favorite Michael Bay book. That's very much like asking me which is my favorite child. So um, they're all special in their own way, and I think number six was kind of the most intense and fun to write, and that's because it's a it's a battle, and because it's a battle, I actually had to make a big map, and I had to make all the different armies and move them around to keep track because I couldn't keep track of where everyone was. It was so complex and trying to see what it would be like to actually fight this battle. And I almost flew to Tuvalu, um, where it takes place, over by Fiji. And I really wanted to go there to be there. Like, I flew to Taiwan when I wrote number four. And I thought, that would be cool to be on this little island. But um, I had some family problems at home, so I couldn't go. Um, I did get a letter from a boy in Fiji who asked me when I had been there. He said, you must have been here because you described my neighborhood perfectly. So that was a good sign. It's like, okay, I got, I do a lot of research. And so, but every book's a little bit different and, and some are more exciting than others. I just hope, you know, you hope when you finish a series that seven is your, is your favorite, but everyone has their own idea of how the series is supposed to end, I discovered. So I got some really angry people as well as a lot of happy people. So, yes. Oh, spoiler alert, huh? Um, that would be kind of a good idea, I just w when he was just pure energy. No. <laughs> no, but actually, Michael Bay is, to me, actually um, a very biblical book. It's a very spiritual story to me. Someone asked me how the series ends, I said, read the Bible. So one little trick I'll show you. Um, see, when Michael climbs up and he's struck by lightning, he's, he's climbing a cross, if you didn't catch that. It's actually a cross. And... When he, um, when he first appears to them, he's on a boat called the MAS. Well, it's uh, Emmaus, like the road to Emmaus. So there's a lot of hidden symbolism. I don't talk about it because I want the book accessible to everyone. And not too long ago, I had a Skype in Saudi Arabia. So these are all Muslim kids. And the teacher there said, this is the most popular book in our school. And the kids would come up and introduce themselves. And here's one from Syria and Jordan and Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan. It was just—it was fascinating seeing these kids who um, were reading the book, no matter where they are, and appreciate it. So, so the book means something to me that may mean something different to someone else. Yes. Where did I get the idea? Well, I loved comic books when I was little. Um, when I was little, um, as you see in the Noel Diary, which is my most personal book, uh, we were really struggling. My dad lost his job; was out of work for more than a year, and there's ten of us in my family. So we were very poor. And um, during that time, I was a really scary time because not having any money and thinking your dad's going to go to jail. And, and um, I would go and rake leaves at the neighbor's house and take the money and go down and buy comic books and Doritos. And that seriously was like, that was about as happy as I could get. Seriously. To read, to read, uh, either Spider-Man or Iron Man or um, the Beast comic book and eat Doritos. And so about two hours, life was perfect. So Michael Vay actually was along that line. I, wanted, I also wanted to write something that would make a difference with kids with disabilities. So my own son Michael has Tourette's and I was hoping that if I wrote a book about a kid with Tourette's that it would become more acceptable. And it, it worked. 
You know, I heard, I've heard all around the country people tell me that um, they're not teased anymore because of Michael Vay. I was at a Comic-Con. Um, I'll call on you just in a second. I was at, so you have to hold your hand up. I was at Comic-Con and this teenage girl walked up to me and she said, Mr. Evans, may I hug you? And I go, sure. She hugged me and she goes, I love you. And I go, why? And she said, because I have Tourette syndrome like you do. And the kids used to tease me really bad and they don't anymore because they all love Michael Vay and they think it would be disrespectful. And they also think it's kind of cool I have Tourette's now. So that was exactly what I was hoping, that my, the world would be a better place for my son. I think we all do that as parents. We want the world to be a better place for our kids and we do what we can. So that was my way of trying to clear the way for him a little bit. And so um, two other stories along that line, I had someone um, tell me that a kid, a teacher told me back east that a kid came up to her and said, why couldn't I have been born with Tourette's? Some kids have all the luck. And another woman said, her doctor said, we're gonna, your son's been, your son has Tourette syndrome, you know, and we better bring him in so we can tell him together because it can be really, it can be really traumatic. So they brought the kid in. You can imagine it's probably more traumatic. This kid's in there thinking he's probably dying of something. And he said, son, you have what's called Tourette syndrome. Do you know what that is? And he said, he, the boy looked down and he goes, yes, yes. And they looked at him and he goes, they're like, yes? It's like, I'm just like Michael Vay. Can, can I call my friends? And the doctor goes, who's Michael Vay? And she said, he's a character in a book. And he goes, this is so great. And it's like, that's what you hope would happen. So what, I didn't expect it to happen on the level it did, um, especially with kids with autism. And so every book signing, I have kids with autism. Uh, one book signing, the first six kids in line have, had autism. And the kids with autism are funny, are funny because they'll, they'll tell you what you did wrong with your book. They do, they're just like, well, you know you did that wrong. They don't have guns like that, it's, it's awesome. They also have some cool ideas. Um, and it's, they're just straightforward and, and, and they appreciate it. And you know, I just, it's just, it's cool. It's cool to see kids coming up twitching and with their Tourette's. And so, that's a blessing. You know, as a parent and I see these kids and I feel like I'm, in some ways, I feel like I'm every kid's parent. Um, you know, I saw those kids last week, and I just, you just love them, and you want them to be happy, and you want them to be well, and you don't know what their circumstances are. And so if a book can kind of help them a little bit and give them some hope, then that's a good thing. And maybe it's the best I can do. So, yes? Okay, that, that's a good question. Okay, then why did I choose the main character to be Michael Vay? The first is because my son Michael has Tourette syndrome and I wrote the book for him. The second is because my niece over here, Heather, she, she got to travel with me for, for once. She's just my scheduling secretary, assistant. And um, her last name is McVay. But everyone calls her husband Vay. And I always thought that sounded cool, Vay. And that's where I came up with Michael Vay. It also had the EV because I wanted to be close to Evans and um, that's how it works. So her son is kind of an unfortunate character in the series, Tanner. Poor Tanner. <laughs> I felt bad for Tanner from the beginning, but Tanner was actually the first one to read Michael Vay. And he was the first youth to read Michael Vay, and I thought, he will know because this kid is, seriously, I'm really surprised he just got married. I'm surprised he didn't get married at Harry Potter land. Um, but he kind of turned the place into Harry Potter land, didn't he? 
He's like, he's such a, he's such a cosplay geek that way. It's awesome. And I thought he will tell me if it's good or not. He will truly tell me. And, and the fact that he, I go, how was it? He goes, it was good. I go, that was it? He goes, I read it twice since yesterday. He's like, okay, that's what we're gonna get. So I was like, okay, it was good enough that he read it twice in a couple of days, so. The, the funny thing is, um, at his wedding, his wedding uh, reception this year, I handed him Michael Bay 7. So that's how, that's these kids, I knew these kids would grow up to the series, but it's like, oh my gosh, he took it, he read the first one and then, and the sad thing is he said he was gonna read it. And I said, if you come back for your honeymoon having read this book, this will be, I'll be very upset. They read it together. Yeah, yeah, because he was like as excited as he was. I was hoping you would bring the book. It's like, you were thinking about this book today. Ah, kids. <laughs> yes? So who was your inspiration as an author, and is that the same person who's your favorite author? Well, okay, when I first, okay, here's, here's some hope for you parents and for your kids. I was a really poor reader. And I remember in California when they moved me from the Robins to the Blue Jays, who we all knew were the dumb kids. And it's like, why am I here? It's like I was a bad reader. And when you, someone tells you you're a bad reader, it's like you kind of start to believe it. And so I remained a bad reader. I didn't like books. And they didn't have Diary of a Wimpy Kid, which I would have liked. And so I just never, I had never read a chapter book. I just, and then in the seventh grade, something ruined it. I, I sat there, I remember looking at this very thick book called The Hobbit. And I thought, how come everyone talks about this book? And I picked it up, and the next thing I knew, I was hooked. And I read the whole book, and I realized I'm not a bad reader, I'm just getting bad books. And I'm just very discriminating. So I read the whole uh, Lord of the uh, Rings trilogy, and so um, Tolkien made a big difference. And then it was when I was a little bit older, I was in, I was in Monterey, my brother handed me a book. My brother was always like um, pushing things. He was like a book pusher. And he was always telling me, he's really smart, he speaks seven languages, he's an intelligence in the military. And, and, but he was really big, like, in, he was getting me into Shakespeare when I was in high school, and he would give me stories by O. Henry. And if you know, do you know O. Henry? You know the story of the Gift of the Magi? That's, he would write these little stories. He was actually really brilliant. And I think that really impacted me because they were short, my books are a little bit shorter, but he shows us how to build emotion in a very short amount of time. So he would give me, he'd feed me these things, and I was in Monterey, and he goes, well, if you're here, you need to read Cannery Rail from John Steinbeck. And when I read Steinbeck, I felt like I, I felt like I was listening to myself. I go, this is my voice, this is, I, I heard it, I just love Steinbeck. I thought, if I could write like anyone, it would be Steinbeck. So then I read Grapes of Wrath, and um, what was the next one? Anyway. Yeah, of my, yeah, exactly. And I thought, this guy's a powerful writer. So that was, he was my hero. But my real hero is my brother, Mark, who he kept telling me, Rick, you need to write. You're better than you know. He was always telling me, you're better than you, than you think. And the problem is when we have it, we're, when we're naturally gifted with something, we take it for granted. We just think, well, anyone can do it. And so I remember talking to a very gifted artist. Um, there's a friend of mine who did the cover of the dance. He's now listed the second best portraiture artist in New York. And I'm looking at his picture, and I couldn't tell the difference between, I couldn't, I actually got it wrong. He had a photograph and a painting, and I thought the photograph was the painting. And the painting was a photograph. I actually got it wrong from a distance. And I said, how do you do that? And he goes, oh, it's easy. Because you could do it. And that's the whole point. I can't do it. I can't play the piano. I can't, you know what I mean? There's, 
there are things that are natural. So that's the problem with writing. It's like, well, anyone can write. Yeah, anyone can write. They just can't write well. Okay, that's the difference. So I, and now that I've seen so many books that people send me, it's like, yeah, it's much more difficult. It just has to be a natural thing. So anyway, it's my brother Mark's my hero, and still is. He's now working on a book, and um, he sent it to me, and it was awful. <laughs> um, but I was honest with him. I said, I said, well, the problem is, I said, Mark, you're trying to write YA, young adult, why? I said, I, I said, look, you homeschooled your kids, and you were kind of backward before then. It's like, you're like four generations away from where the kids are. I go, I'm pushing and have to have kids come in, and I, I see a lot of kids, and I have kids come in and look at my books and my daughter, Jenna, to make sure I'm speaking like kids would speak. I go, you're not even close. You're, like, you're old for me. And, and I go, but the thing is, I said, the reason I say this, Mark, is because you're brilliant. Why would you write this YA? I want to hear your take on life. So that's what, so he actually appreciated it. He goes, yeah. And the problem was he was just afraid to be honest. And that's the biggest problem with um, writing is authenticity. It's also the most important part of it. So did anyone read my marriage blog? Okay, I, write this, I wrote a blog called How I Saved My Marriage. Okay, that one? I put it online. I've never, it's the first time I saw something right there go viral. I'm sitting there, it's like, oh, it has 15 readers. 60, 100, 200, 500, 600, 8,000, 18,000, it's just like that, it's just going like this. And it goes completely viral. I'm looking at it, it's like, it has 100,000 readers right now within two hours. It was nuts. Well, it just starts going everywhere, and at which point my wife finds out about it. <laughs> now, I am not this insensitive husband. I've given the talk about this, okay? And so I didn't think she would be upset. I, in fact, it didn't even cross my mind she'd be upset. She's heard me give this talk in large audiences of more than 1,000 people three times. So um, I put it out there, and so she beeps me up in my office a couple days later, and she goes, they're talking about that blog you wrote on the news this morning, the local news. I'm on the phone with Huffington Post who wants to put it into seven languages. Okay, it's like, she goes, you need to take that off the internet. Like, it, it doesn't work that way. There's nothing you can do. Okay, I see this, I see this blog comes over, romantic relationships. 28 million reads on my blog. One comes through in Portuguese. I see my name and Carrie. Everything else is in Portuguese. I don't read Portuguese. But I see a picture of a guy in a shower, which is how it starts. And then I, see, I, I start to see my name. It's like, oh, it's my blog. Had 11 million views that week. And it's like, it went out to more than 150 million people. She was not happy. Um, and finally, we got this fight. Finally, I said, you. I'm tired of fighting with you about this. It's done. I'm not putting it back out there. It's like, why you, I go, did I say anything in there that wasn't true? She goes, that's the problem. It's all true. She goes, you share too much. And that was actually a very important moment because I said, no, I can't share too much. I said, Carrie, you come from a family who swept everything under the carpet and pretended everything was fine when things were awful. I said, I don't know how to lie. And I don't want to start. If I start lying in my books, my books will fail. So I have a choice. I can either tell the truth in my books or I could stop writing. And to stop writing would be to offend God.
So I go, you have to understand, this is one thing I will not compromise with you on. I said, I give you pretty much everything you want in life, anything you want to do, but I go, this, I don't compromise. So you either live with it or you live without me. You have to decide, but I won't change. And she just looked down for me and she goes, you're right. Okay. And that was it. The thing that was interesting about that is that we would go places on a regular basis and people would stop me. I mean, in fact, in fact even that first week, we're at a restaurant and I asked them, I go, what is that you're eating? I, I like what it looks. She goes, you're Richard Paul Evans. Oh, yep. And she goes, we're here because of you. We were going to get divorced. And I go, tell her. Tell her this. And, and friends were calling, and she had friends call and say that their kids didn't get divorced because of it. I'm hearing this all over the world. I'm hearing marriage counselors who are handling this out to everyone who walks in their office. It's like, look at the good it's doing. It's like, suck it up, babe. <laughs> it's like, neither of us look great in this. It's like, but it's real. And that's the thing. It's like, you have to be authentic. So I think, I think with Noel Diary, if you haven't read it, I think you'll really like it, but it's, I'm sorry to tell you that the saddest part, in fact, I saw a radio show host start crying on, by page six. It's like doing an interview with someone who's crying. But she had started to read it by page six, she was crying. I said, it's true. That really did happen to me. And so my mother suffered from mental illness, and so the most difficult parts in the book are all true. And, but I want you to know, I love my mother. I was very close to my mother, but it was also a very inappropriate relationship because no boy should have to spend his life trying to keep his mother alive. So I would spend hours in dark rooms laying next to her. I describe a pencil with toothpicks on it, wrapped up with tape, and I would sit there and tickle her arms and legs because it made her feel good and it made me feel like she liked me. No boy should have to save his mother's life and no boy should have to earn love. And that's what Noel Diary is about, is about when you just get to that point that you say, if you have to earn love, it's too great of a cost. You're better without it. It's not love. Anything you earn, and this is true about God as well, it's like, you, the, fa the fact is, earned grace is not grace. That's a contradiction in terms. Earned love is not love, it's a wage. And too many of us spend our lives trying to earn love from other people. And you just get to that point where you just say, I'm done. Take me or leave me. I'm not going to earn it. And that's actually a very liberating place to be, to get to that point. And I remember getting to that point with my mother and just saying, if you want to die, then die. I've done everything I can. I've intervened in two suicides attempts. But you don't realize until you're older that really messes you up. You know, to go through that. But at a deeper level, it's like you really don't care about me. If you're willing to just check out that easy, if I'm that disposable, well, the truth was she was mentally ill. And when she finally got help, then she was happy. So, yes, Wendy. Hey, uh, after you wrote the Noel Diary, was it cathartic? Yes, it was. When Carrie asked, well, did it hurt to write it? I said yes. Um, but it also helped. And it really, like, when I wrote, the first time I wrote was in the Christmas Box Miracle. I wrote about when my mom, after she tried it, she slid her wrists. Um, when she got out of the hospital, she would sit there and we had a knife sharpener. It was avocado green. It was um, a can opener knife sharpener. Do you remember those? They would grill them on the back. That sound was horrific. The grinding stone with knives, right? She would sit there and sharpen knives. And I would hide behind the couch and go like this and try not to hear it. And then I stayed up late one night and I stole it and I hid it. I wrapped it in a towel and hid it in the basement. So she couldn't kill herself. 
when I first put that in the book and I realized, I said, I, I wrote something, it was the truest thing I'd written at that point. I remember I actually started crying. All of a sudden it just came out of me and it said, but every now and then, that rises up in my psyche like groundwater. And I'm still that little boy hiding behind the couch. It doesn't go away. And um, when I showed it to my mom, she said, don't, please don't publish that. I said, okay. So I took it out. And then um, just before the book went into the final, she called me, she goes, publish it. She was afraid of what her sisters would think of her. But, which is ironic because all of her sisters are very mentally ill. They had a very dysfunctional, hyper-religious family that was bizarre. And she was so grateful because she, women from all around the world reached out to her and thanked her for being honest and saying, I'm you. I, that's exactly where I was at. And so she, she was, before she died, she was really grateful and felt like she had made a contribution in this world by being part of that. So that took a lot of courage on her part to let me share that. And I'm respectful enough as her son that I wouldn't do it without her permission. So, yes. One more question, okay. No one wants to take the last cookie. You talk about how the supposed to be Oh, Glenn Beck likes to talk about that. Um, yeah, it was, it, it's interesting because it's in the book, they, they thought it was too intelligent. And because initially the readers of Michael Bay were all adults, not kids. And then they told the adults would read it and then tell their kids and the kids would not want to read it now. And it took, a, it took two years for it to take off with kids. Um, but there were words in there that were just, you know, for adults. And um, not adult topics, but, you know. And, um, and so they said, well, we should like cut back on it. And, and Glenn Beck was very adamant, absolutely not. We don't need dumber kids. And um, I thought, no, it's good for them to learn and to stretch a little bit. So we kept it the way it was. It was the book that they didn't think would sell. I mean, no one really wanted it. And uh, it hit number one the week it came out. And this is a lesson for you, last thing. The two books of mine that no one wanted, The Christmas Box and Michael Vey, are my two number one bestsellers. So let that be a lesson to you, okay? It's the ones I ever thought would fail succeeded. So there is that point when, where Emerson said, none of us will succeed until we uh, learn to listen to that whisper which is heard by us alone. And he's talking about in, in his, his essay on self-reliance. Because in every success, we see our own rejected thoughts. How many times has people said, oh, I, I thought of that. I thought of that invention. I, I, I thought of that story. You know, it's like, yeah, but why didn't you do anything? It, it's not who thought of it, it's like who actually did it. You know, like the Wright brothers, right? So. Anyway, I love coming to Kentucky. Thank you. Just, I want to say thank you for all the years. Um, my first time in Owensboro, though, I used, to go, I used to go to Louisville and have a Louisville Brown, which is still the best food on the planet. And you can't make it outside of Louisville, just like you can't make Scot scotch outside of Scotland, I'm told. Um, and Lexington, this is some of the most beautiful country on the planet. But they're also the most beautiful people. Um, I just, you've always been so kind to me and I really appreciate it. So I, I hope you like my books. Uh, thank you to those who brought me here. Th thanks to uh, Leslie Scott, who's just kind of a hyper fan and always, is always there. There you are. Yeah, so you are a hyper fan. But uh, thank you for all you do and your support. And you tell everyone, 
And thank you. And my, my, my buddy, the buddies, the Brubakers, and who've been on the cruise with us and, and uh, to Italy with us and a great family here. So anyway, thank you so much. God bless. I hope you have a really great holiday. And if you need any Christmas presents, I'm happy to sign books for you. So thank you. <laughs> people who attended the talk tonight, we are having a drawing for a prize basket with some different signed books from YA authors. So you can come up here and fill out a card if you'd like to enter to win. And thank you so much. Is my daughter's book in there? It is not. I need to make the plug for my daughter's book, Jenna, Love and Gelato. If you have a teenage girl, she will love it. It was voted one of the American Library Association's 10 best YA books of the year. It's in 15 countries now, and they thought it would sell 15,000 copies. It's approaching 130,000, which makes her a major best-selling author, yeah. So, anyway, love and gelato.